our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I think probably most of you know that I'm here to receive an award for the work that we do at Clergy and Lady United for Economic Justice of California. The award is called the Peace Prize. And when I first heard that I was going to receive it, I was confused because I'm not an anti-war activist. I thought they got the wrong person. And then I took a moment and I stepped back and thought about what peace means for us as Christians. Of course, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And shalom refers to more than the absence of conflict. It refers to the presence of harmony. The image of shalom is a family gathered around a table with enough for everyone to eat and peace between all of the members. That's why we say that there's no peace without justice. And that's why Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the root of nonviolence is love. The work that we do at Clue is all about intelligent love. What is intelligent love? We've all heard the saying, if you give a person a fish, they eat for a meal. If you teach them how to fish, everyone you know the answer, right? They eat for a lifetime. Unless, of course, they go to the fish pond and there's a wall around the fish pond. And then it doesn't matter if you know how to fish. To give a person a fish is charity, and it's good. It's love in action. To teach a person how to fish is community development, and that's very good. It's intelligent love, thoughtful love. To remove the wall around the fish pond is organizing and advocacy, and that is also intelligent love. Clue's work is systemic. But when we talk about intelligent love, we have to even take a step back beyond the fish and the fishing and the fish pond. And I want to go to the scripture, the gospel lesson we just read, to talk about the first step in intelligent love. Jesus looks at the crowds and he has compassion. Compassion is actually an English word made up of two Latin words, com and passion. Passion means feel and com means with. Jesus looked at the crowds and he felt with them. He felt their pain as if it was his pain. He felt their hopes and dreams as if they were his own hopes and dreams. And that's what compelled him to give his life from a human perspective. But Jesus had to do something before he could feel that compassion. What did he have to do? He had to look. He had to really look at the crowds. He had to see what was hurting them. He had to see what they hoped for. In the language of the university, he had to do research. The first step in intelligent love is to really ask ourselves, what is happening with God's people? Part of what's happening with God's people at this moment in history is a broken immigration system, a system that is illogical, ineffective, and inhumane. I want to say something about what that means. 
And I want to say something about what it means through a story. This is the story of a person, a resident of Ventura County, but it's also the story of many people. It's a, it's a story that is not uncommon. And I thought that she actually might be here today, Liliana, but she's not, is she? No. Uh, so I'll tell her story, and she might even come in in the middle of it. So Liliana's family comes from Mexico, and they were prosperous farmers. They farmed corn for generations. And then the North American Free Trade Agreement passed, and American agribusiness companies began selling corn in Mexico more cheaply than Liliana's family could produce it. Now, how could that be? Why is that true? Well, it's not just that American agribusiness might be more efficient, it's that American agribusiness is subsidized by our government. So there was no way, whatever Liliana's family did, there was no way that they could produce corn cheaply enough to make a profit. So their business went under, there was no work, and her parents applied for a guest worker visas to come as farm workers, which they did. They came legally to this country as farm workers. Many people don't know that we do that, that we import farm workers legally under a guest worker program. We do. But Liliana was in high school, and she didn't want to come because she was very ambitious and she wanted to be a psychologist and she wanted to finish school in her language and do well. So she waited until after she graduated. And at that point she found out that it would be a 12-year wait to come to this country. Now she didn't want, and many of you who are young can imagine, would you want to be 12 years without seeing your family? She wanted to be with her family. So she did something foolish. How many of you did something foolish when you were 18? few of us. She um, bought a false birth certificate and she tried to cross. Now she was unsuccessful. It was a bad copy. They saw through it immediately and they turned her back. But a little while later she was able to cross and she came to where her family were working in the fields in this county. She worked in the fields and she met the love of her life, Jerry, who is an American citizen. And they got married. Now by the way, by this point, her whole family are legal residents, American citizens, her brothers and sisters, their kids, her parents. So she gets married and she has a couple of children. They work very hard. He's a truck driver. He works two jobs, she works one job. They own their own home. They're leaders in their community and their church. And Jerry says to Liliana, Liliana, I'm going to petition for you. This is ridiculous. Why do you walk around in fear? You should be a citizen. So he petitions for her. They go through the whole process. They're at the final interview. They're in front of the immigration agent. They've got a party waiting at home with hot dogs and balloons and tamales. And the immigration agent is looking through her paperwork and he says, oh, you can't immigrate to this country. You've committed a felony. You falsely claimed to be a US citizen. For that felony, you run into a punishment that is a lifetime bar to immigration. No waivers, no appeals. Lifetime bar. Go home, say goodbye to your children, or take your children and your whole extended family with you back to Mexico and your American citizen husband, or leave them. But go home and do it. So Liliana goes home, and she thinks, I'm just going to live my life. 
We're part of the community. We're fine, upstanding members of our community. We're not the people they care about. I'm just going to live my life. Until three or four months later, she's given birth to her third child. She's nursing him. And there's a knock at the door at 6 in the morning. And it's five immigration agents. And they come in and they say, you're coming with us now. Leave your kids. The seven-year-old and the four-year-old at that point were getting ready for school. The seven-year-old starts crying. And he says, why are you taking my mommy? My mommy is the best mommy for me. Why are you taking her? At which point Liliana starts crying. And the immigration agent says, don't waste your tears. Well, the other immigration agent, who is female, says to her, how long do you need to say goodbye to your kids? And she says, I don't know, give me a week. And the immigration agent says, well, we'll give you a few days. They leave, and Liliana goes into sanctuary. Now, what is sanctuary? I need to say something for a minute, because people often dealing with the immigration crisis say, what is it about illegal that you don't understand? But we have a scripture, a set of scriptures in the book of Numbers, which refers to situations where someone has done something illegal, but where the response to the crime is cruel and unjust. And what the scriptures and numbers instruct the people of God to do in that circumstance, and in the book of Numbers, they're talking about the crime of manslaughter, that someone has committed manslaughter, but that person is being treated as if they've committed murder. So it says, give that person a safe place to stay, that's what the people of God are told, until they can get a fair hearing, until the punishment will be appropriate and just. So when people say to us, what is it about illegal you don't understand, I always say, what is it about cruel and unjust punishment you don't understand? Liliana did something illegal when she was 18. But should that punishment be the separation from her family or the whole family, including her father who has cancer, have all of them who are, or at this point, are American citizens, the whole family going to Mexico? I mean, it, it's unjust. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this broken system that is breaking families? We could respond by giving a fish. It wouldn't do very much. We can respond by teaching out a fish. I don't even know what it means in this situation. We have to respond systemically. We have to do something about public policy. And that takes a much broader coalition than just the church. But the role of the church in any coalition is different than what everyone else is called to do. We are called to do some of the same things that everyone is called to do, but we are also called to do something different, something more. And part of what CLUE specializes in, the, organ the ministry that I direct, is what that difference is. That we do faith-rooted organizing. That is about what do we bring as people of faith that no one else can bring. And I'm not going to have time in the space of a short sermon to talk about all of it. But I do want to go back to the scripture that we read from Isaiah to talk about some of it. The scripture from Isaiah says to people that are suffering, to people that are struggling against injustice, to people who are frightened, don't be afraid. Many of us don't even begin the struggle against injustice because we're frightened, we're overwhelmed. The powers and principalities are so great. But the scripture says, don't be afraid. 
The God of the Exodus is with you. The God of the Exodus goes before you. You will have enough to eat for your family. You will be free. You will not have to face unjust separation. That is the promise. We are the keepers of hope. We are the keepers of the promise. We are the ones to say to everyone in the movement for justice, even though it's a long journey, as Dr. King said, even though it's a very long journey, the end is justice and peace and victory because we don't walk alone. The God of the Exodus walks with us. And we, my brothers and sisters, are called to be the chaplains on the field of the battle for justice, to encourage people, to encourage ourselves and others to say there is hope. Don't give up. Keep on walking until we get to the kingdom. So I'm very grateful for this award because it honors this work. And to honor it is to nurture it and to help it to grow. So thank you. And please, uh, not only keep this work in your prayers, but join it. Amen. I'd like to introduce to you our president, Dr. Chris Kimball. Good morning. Today's a pretty important day. Not only are we starting the spring semester, in itself a good thing, it's also our first time in worship together since the season of Advent. Here we are in Epiphany. I think we missed the season in between collectively, but we're with our families and friends during Christmas. And of course, we're celebrating and remembering the life and work of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. We're a couple of days behind the rest of the country, but take that as the uh, iron grip of the academic calendar imposing itself on, on other things. In a few moments, we'll be reading some words from Dr. King from his famous and rightly so letter from Birmingham jail, uh, including uh, his uh, complaint of the, the quietness of the church in the face of uh, injustice. I thought I would uh, read a little bit more from that letter, the words that come before the selection that we will read shortly. And it's worth noting the context of that letter. Not only was he literally in jail in Birmingham, he was responding to a complaint from fellow clergy persons that he was, while in support of an important and just cause going about it the wrong way. That he was coming in as an outsider causing trouble when the right thing to do, said these other clergy, was to allow the courts to do their work in a proper, even if slow way. And it was to that that he was responding. And he wrote, there was a time when the church was very powerful, in the time when early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, 
the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. And in that spirit, we come to today. As many of you know, about a year ago, we dedicated a peace pole right outside this chapel, a peace pole part of a a much wider movement, one that joins its neighbor at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, less than a mile away. But folks who brought that pole and that vision to us wanted to do more to find ways to regularly reinforce and sustain and invigorate our commitment to peace and justice. And so this year, that group led by Juanita Hall, assisted by Arnie Berglund and a, a core of senior faculty leaders, John Sheed Demui, Pam Brubaker, Greg Freeland, I think they're all here, Colleen Wyndham Hughes, said this university should begin the tradition of awarding a prize for peace to recognize someone in our region crusading for peace and justice. And this is appropriate for a lot of reasons, not only because of our mission and the calling of the church. Dr. King himself was a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. And even in our limited Scandinavian heritage, the Nobel Prize comes out of those countries and some of our sister and brother Lutheran institutions in the Midwest have made for many years the Nobel Peace Prize a center for activities on their five campuses. And so this year, we're honored to give the first, the inaugural CLU Peace Prize. I'm afraid, unlike the Golden Globes, it's not going to be a surprise. You've already met our winner and recipient, and in her words that we've just heard about her work with Clue, support of the sanctuary movement, understand why this award is so particularly appropriate. Economic injustice has been a challenge in this country since the beginning. Issues around immigration have changed over time. It was the 20th century that introduced even the notion of illegal immigration. And certainly in our own time, I can think of no other issue that has aroused so many emotions so strong. And it takes courage to act in this climate. And it's that courage, courage of conviction, grounded in a strong theological understanding that Dr. King lived out and that we believe Reverend Salvatierra lives out. And so would you join me in welcoming and thanking and celebrating her as our first Peace Prize winner.
find myself in times of trouble Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see there will be an answer let it be let it be let it be just let it be let it be there will be an answer let it be let it be just let it be just let it be Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, just let it be, just let it be. Cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me. Shine until tomorrow, let it be. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be, let it be. Just let it be, just let it be, let it be. There will be an answer, let it be. Let it be, just let it be, just let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. stand as we pray together.
We remember the conviction of Martin Luther King Jr. that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Therefore, let us pray for courage and determination by those who are oppressed. We remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s warning that a negative peace is the absence of tension, is less than a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Therefore, let us pray for those who work in peace, work for peace in our world, may cry out first for justice. We remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s insight that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Therefore, let us pray that we may see nothing in isolation, but may know ourselves bound to one another and to all people under heaven. We remember Martin's lament that the contemporary church is often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. For far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often vocal sanction of things as they are. Therefore, let us pray that neither this community nor any assembly of Christ's people may be silent in the face of wrong, but that we may be disturbers of the status quo when that is God's call to us. We remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s hope that dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-so-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Therefore, in faith, let us commend ourselves in our work for justice to the goodness of Almighty God. When we let freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and hamlet, from every city and state, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing that old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we are free at last. 